I gotta do a a, a mic check like WNBC. There it is. WNBC. And now, on the latest episode of Pancom Podcast, <laughs> we bring you the Pasolito Papi himself. <laughs> That's so good. Giovanni Fesser. Oh my god. It's good. So you're listening to Pancom Podcast? Right. With Chef and Chili Cookoff champion Michael Beltran. One time oh. champion. Oh, One time champion, going aspiring. For yeah. Going for my second. Going oh. for number two pretty soon, hopefully, yeah. maybe. Uh, I'm Nicky Menez, and we are joined by Gio, the one yes. and only Pastelito Papi with two eyes, Fester. Two eyes, only because uh, the Pastelito Papi has been taken. Yeah, the sin, the guy, there's a guy, there's a vendetta with the Pastelito Papi, the single eye guy that doesn't want to give it up. I mean, what are you going to do? I get it. Those are the problems you run into in life. I know. Before we get into this conversation with Gio about pastelitos, there's a very special episode because we have a sponsor, and in this particular episode, uh, we have a mini segment where you, Mike, were talking with Albert San Salvador Santander, who is the brand country manager for Estrella Dam. Yes. Uh, so. Give us a little bit of lead-in into like what this was. And you don't have to go too far because a lot of the conversation covers it, but a little bit of an intro to what you talked about. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we spoke about this, I guess, this program that they're starting to offer, which is kind of like a restaurant slash Estrella Dam uh, month. So you can offer any kind of menu that you want paired with Estrella Dam. For us, we're doing like a three-course, and we're charging like 60 bucks. Not too much detail because we got to do an ad right, later. Right. Yeah. Not too much. I'm, this is new for us. Right? I, know, I, know. I don't know. I don't really don't know, know what, what I'm doing. Ourselves. So this is all very new for me. But that's the that's the Cliff's notes of it. You're about to hear a conversation with uh, between Mike and Albert San Salvador Santander from Dam, uh, and so here that is, and we will be back at the on the other side of that interview. Albert, tell me about the Estrella Dam culinary journey through Miami. Yeah, so this is a program. I mean, we changed the name this this year, but it's kind of a program we've been doing since 2015, mm-hmm. uh, and it's our way to you know to support restaurants in Miami and also to to get you know consumer know about the, the brand mm-hmm. and our and our work with with chefs, especially. We really uh, like partnering with chefs top world chefs, but also top local chefs in Miami. So the culinary journey uh, program is mainly will be like participating plus 40 restaurants mm-hmm. with um, with a set menu that each chef, each restaurant decides to pair with a them. So it can be one dish or it can be two course meal. Uh, and uh, and it's always like pair with Estradam. What we are giving flexibility to, you know, to chefs and restaurants to decide what they want to offer and pair with Estradam. Uh, because we believe also it's a it's a different time, no? In mm-hmm. in the past, we were giving like a, a common ingredient that mm-hmm. all the chefs had to like come up with a dish. But this year, we think that you know it just give freedom on on what to choose and what to cook. Yeah, it's um, a little more flexible. Kind of when I heard about the program, it's like it leaves it more up to 
us, the chefs or restaurateurs, and like how do we want to pair Estrella Dam? Not like given a, kind of like a, an ingredient to work with. You know, we're going to do it at two of our establishments, Nave, which is just doing like a seafood shack pop-up on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're going to do it at Ariette paired with like a three-course menu. So it's cool. I mean, I thought that it's it's a great way to start to continue to activate uh, restaurants and people to go out to dine and, you know, just promoting um, the industry as a whole. is. And I mm-hmm. thought that was a very good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, it's an it's an honor to work uh, with chefs like like you, that are like you know, uh, top local chefs in Miami, and it's our way uh, that we think that we can uh, best give uh, give back and support restaurants in this in these difficult times, and also to promote the you know the socially and safe you know uh, dining out. Uh, right. Okay, right. So, is this? Uh program only offered here locally or is this like a, a countrywide thing well in the states our focus market is is miami mm-hmm. and so far we're doing it uh, only in miami mm-hmm. but uh, for example we'll also be doing at the same time in toronto cool uh, uh, in canada and next year we would most likely also do it in uh, in montreal in, in quebec amazing mm-hmm. amazing do you know what restaurants some of the restaurants that are going to be participating in toronto or not Yes, uh, we'll have most likely uh, either like uh, Baraval or Bar Isabel mm. uh, from Grand Van Gameren, also mm. Madrina with Jeff Ramon Simaro. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have also uh, Dilo, mm-hmm. Trevor Louis will be part of the of the of the program. Uh, cool. Who's who? The who's who of the Toronto scene? It seems. Yeah, I mean that we we always try to you know to work with the, with the chairs. We really appreciate you know the what what you guys do and. Uh, uh, not only that creativity, no, but also what you know these experiences that you offer to to us, to people, and and that's how we you know how we want to to partner and to differentiate from from other brands as well. Right, and uh, how many restaurants locally are? Uh, here in Miami are participating? It's going to be uh, more than 40. I mean, oh, we wow. have one, yeah, well, now we are working on the on the final lineup and it will be most likely between 40 and, and 45 restaurants. Cool. So that's, um, we, we're very happy. We're very happy. Uh, we see very good feedback from restaurants and and hopefully, you know, at the end of the program, we'll be very happy of, uh, of the outcome. So when does the program start? It starts October 15 mm-hmm. and will last uh, until November 15. So it's going to be one month. Was it always one month long? Yes, it's been always one month long. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, usually we do it in either in, in October. Uh, but this year we just postponed it a, a, a little like, bit. A little bit, yeah. So since 2015, this seems like it's going to be something that's going to be a long-term program that we could expect next year as well? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, uh, all our programs, all our like strategies long-term, uh, we've been in Miami uh, building the brand for at least six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And, and well, that's, uh, we believe in, you know, when we have, you have your way, you have to follow and and keep it it's it it takes time it takes yeah. time but we're very happy with what we're, what we're doing i mean the thing that really because i've um been very vocal about some of these programs that kind of like hamper the restaurant and they say listen you have to charge 39 dollars for something and everyone knows who that is um instead of doing that you gave people the flexibility to kind of see where where they're uh, restaurant fit and their concept fit, which I appreciate a lot from the restaurant perspective, because it's not just saying, well, if you can't do it like this, then you can't do it, you know, because for instance, Nave, which would have been a great fit for this if it were open full-fledged, is only doing a small pop-up. So the fact that I can offer, you know, a lobster roll with a Estrella or whatever it may be, 
uh, is great, you know, and the same thing for Ariette that, you know, thing, a lot of things have changed and we don't exactly have a tasting menu anymore. You know, we have our event every month, but we don't do it every night like we used to. Um, then, you know, we could still do this small three course that the kitchen can handle and mm-hmm. we can control quality and we don't have to overstaff and so on and so forth. So I, I, I applaud you guys for being kind of like more aware than many others are, um, to work with kind of the community to see what best fit us instead of just saying like, here, here it is. And this is it cut and dry. Uh, there's three beers under the label, right? Estrella And then there's the one that, uh, Adria did, right? Yeah. We have like our portfolio is much bigger in Spain where we have our brewery in Barcelona. We have like maybe like 10, 12, like with all the specialties. Oh yeah. In the States, we have three ones that are available. Our flagship brand, which is Estrella Dam, which is, uh, the beer of Barcelona it's, of course, brewed in Barcelona with 100% natural ingredients. Mm-hmm. We call it like a Mediterranean lager uh, mm-hmm. because it has all these... We try to reflect with Estrella what the Mediterranean life is, Thai life. And the recipe is the original recipe from 1876 from, from the founder. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's been brewing for more than 140 years. So there's a lot wow. of uh, heritage behind. And it's a, it's a lager, as I was saying. No? Then we have like Inedit, which is the, the beer crafted by Ferran Adrià. Mm. Uh, and as, as you know, no, it's the world's uh, most awarded uh, chef, and we're very proud that it's you know has been working with us for for so long. And it's kind of it's a it's a blend of a lager beer and a wheat beer. Mm. Uh, we served in a wine glass, and it has like you know uh, species and has coriander, orange peel, and licorice. So mm. it goes very well to uh, to match with like salads or more like fatty foods or fish and mm. this kind of stuff. And then we have our, our gluten-free, uh, which is Daura, called Daura. It will be like a lager, gluten-free lager, uh, brewed with barley malt. And well, that's why we have to call it crafted to remove gluten here, but it's also the world's most awarded. So, uh, for celiacs or for gluten intolerance or for people who just don't want to have gluten, it's like having a beer without gluten, like with a taste of a, of a real beer. Amazing. I really want to try the beer by Ferran Adria. Yeah, I haven't sure. I haven't tried it yet. So yeah. that's something that uh, that's, I'm definitely that, looking that's, forward that's to. That's easy. That's easy. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> that's easy. Yeah, yeah. we know we know people. So um, in, you know, the idea of Miami being your main market in the country, has it always been that way for the last like five or six years or yeah. has it, it, it has been? Yeah, it that's has been. That's interesting. I feel like that. Uh, the reason why, uh, well, Miami, it's, it's, it's a lot of like mix, yeah. mix cultures, melting pot, melting pot mm-hmm. right? So, uh, people are open to try new things and things that come from, you know, overseas. Mm. And that's, uh, and that's easier, no, for, uh, for an import brand as, as, uh, as ours to, to come and, and, and find some, some market there. And then also the fact that with all the Latin heritage, mm-hmm. it's also closer to to the people living here. I'm interested. Do you know some of the restaurants that are going to be involved locally uh, in yeah. restaurant uh, yeah. the culinary journey? Yeah, yeah. Of October 15th, yes. November 15th. Yes. Other than ourselves, uh, Ariet and Nave, what are some of the other restaurants that are going to be participating? Well, for example, uh, here in Coconut Grove, you have uh, Jawar uh, oh, nice. with uh, Oscar mm-hmm. Rivero. Uh, we have also, like for example, a few of the Spanish restaurants that work with us. Like for example, Barceloneta oh, uh, will be part of the program. Uh, we have an Alona in, I think they're for for Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. They will be part of the program. We have restaurants in Miami Beach, in in downtown, uh, in Wynwood as well. Great. Uh, for example, Our House will be part of the cool. of the program as well. 
uh, in um, yeah Design District, North Miami. Amarantine is uh, the new Greek restaurant in in Miami Shores. Also, we're part of the program. So a good a good gauntlet of different types of food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, good, and all all of them like chef driven restaurants that you know can offer good food, but with uh, you know with some creativity and you know and looking also for a more like upscale upscale experience. Right. Well, thank you so much for um, kind of giving us a little background on the culinary journey. I know that uh, we will be ta- participating October 15th, and I look forward to, you know, seeing everyone uh, come October. Yeah, it was a pleasure to spend time with you, and thank you for being part of the program as well. Thank you. Giovanni Fesser, yes, say hello sir. to the people. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hi, Kansas. <laughs> hello. Hello to Salina, Kansas. I, um, you're only the second person that's worked within the company to ever be on the show. Awesome. I think uh, something that was tough for me always was I always wanted for you to be on the show, but it's something that it's like a, there's a there's a long story between us. Yeah. This has been <laughs> 11, 11 years of working together. Yeah. Man, time and time flies. Yeah. And I don't think people can understand. We're the only two left from the original people that were here. Very true. The only two people left from even original investors in this place. So yes, the, even the original investors are not the same. The only two things that are the same are you and I and... You know, I've done like videos and people have asked me things, but Ariet would not be here. This company would not be here if it wasn't for you. And I know that, you know, we've branched out and we've done like something different, which we'll talk about a lot, obviously, and how that unfolded. But, um, you know, you and I started working together the same day at Norman's on the same station. Was it 11 years ago? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. 11 years ago. And um, since then, we worked at uh, five, four different places together. Something like that. I think it's four. Four. And we've been here for five. We've been here for five. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's enough time in a podcast to talk to people about how many important things you did here, how many hurdles we faced together, how many brunches for Mother's Day that we did 400 covers alone. <laughs> oh, um, brunch. Yeah, that we would show up at 4.30 in the morning to prep to be open by 11. Um, there was just like, there's no way to, to to put that into words. So that's my way of saying thank you. That's not enough way of saying thank you. And I think um, it's been, what, a year, two years since we, the Pasolito thing started? Yeah, two years pushing hard. The first year we kind of like trickled it into brunch and then kind of like disappeared a little bit. Kind of like I was waiting on the trademark because I didn't really want to put out anything without the name being yeah, trademarked. Yeah, people steal your Instagram handle. Yeah, even though I didn't like the name from the beginning, but... What do you mean? It kind of like grew on me. Yeah. Well, how did we come up with that name? It was... uh, Well, you would always work uh, service at night, and then I would open up early brunch, and you would just walk in an hour before we open. I'd have everything set. That day I went in extra early and you came in and you were kind of like hung over from the night before. You got your ass kicked probably. That sounds about right. That sounds <laughs> accurate. And then you were just like, 
with a cup of coffee in your hand and you were like checking through shit, making sure we had stuff. And I'm like, yo, everything's ready. I'm like, I just want to talk to you. And you're like, what about what? I'm like, the Patelito thing. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 bro. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no I'm serious. And you were like, that's right. He's like, you're going to be the Patelito Bobby. That's it. And I was like, nah, bro, nah, bro. And, you know, we did one Patelito, which was a Frito Patelito, and promoted it for brunch and it kind of became a thing. I, yeah. I, sorry, I'm going to step in here just for a second. I think for, for our listeners in Kansas. Let's take a little bit of time to explain pastelitos <laughs> on a basic level. Like, let's assume people have never heard that word That's before. That's fine. And it's easy to like right. to understand why not many people understand what that is. Basically, it is a pastry filled with several different things that can ha- be had at any part of the day. Does Pretty that make much. sense? Pretty much. So, like, Hispanic culture, we have it for breakfast, lunch. We could have it for dinner. We could have it for post-dinner. But basically, it could be savory, it could be sweet, it could be both, it could be, it actually is, a, a lot of times, the savory ones have sweet elements to them, because yes. it's the simple on top. Yeah. But it's something that's part of our culture. And I, I remember the story, because I was hungover that day, but I remember <laughs> the story a little different in the fact that we we did that event. So we did an event for right. Bacardi, for the Food and Wine Festival Two and a, it was, I don't know, it has to be two and a half years yeah, ago. Yeah, two and a half years ago. And um, we we had a person that worked for us at the time, and she was responsible for letting us know all the events and how many things we had to have for that event. Correct. She said we had to have 400 pieces, right? Yeah. Which eventually we found out that it was actually 1,200 pieces. Yeah. So I said, let's make a, a pastelito with head cheese because I like all the weird shit. So let's do head cheese with fish sauce <laughs> caramel or whatever. And Gio made them all, and they were all amazing. I had actually zero to do with it at all. And um, then after after we did that, because we ran out of food in 45 minutes, right? Yeah, it was more like in an hour, we were already like halfway done, and we were like, no, 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 hold it back, hold it back. And then, you know, we got rid of the food pretty quick. <laughs> and, we weren't expecting that. And then um, I think it was a couple weeks later, you started talking to me about like, you know, what if we just did this shit good? Right. We did pastelitos that weren't just a regular thing, like pastelito de carne, which is of beef for our Kansas people. Uh, <laughs> pastelito of, like, what else is normal shit? Because I'm, I'm actually, like, pretty zoned out to, like, what the... Uh, queso, you know, like, uh, cream queso, cheese pastelito, yes. guava and cream cheese pastelito. Guava, cream um, cheese. Coconut is pretty normal. Coconut is pretty normal. Uh, they have one called a can- cangrejito, and it's like chorizo inside. I mean, it has nothing to do with crab. It's just more of the shape of the pastry on the outside. Really? Yeah. And, I actually didn't know that. And different bakeries, they have a tuna one, which I haven't oh, yeah. really gone to. Which yeah. actually is delicious, but it's a different dough. Oh. That's a I different dough. It's oh, like I don't a puff know dough. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's more of like a doughy dough. Anyways, the... You came to me and you said, you know, I really want to do this thing and um, I just want to make it like seasonal and local. And I was like, I mean, sure. I mean, I'm down to try whatever. And then it kind of kind of more snowballed into the thing. And I don't remember. The first one was the Frida. And, the, fr- and the second one was PB&J. PB&J, which to me is still my favorite. And peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are my favorite. Peanut butter and jelly pastelito is my favorite. And then, you know, like you were in Savour, right? Yeah, we were in Savor. I mean, Savor. Shout out to Alona Martinez. Yeah. Alona Martinez. Uh, one of the people that are woke. Woke, <laughs> as the kids say, about food. Um, and, you know, we were in Indulge a few times. 
Uh, that's when Indulge was run by Evan Ben, a good friend and incredible person. And, you know, just kind of like, and now it's like a thing. Now Gio's got like a million followers and 90% of them are all women, which I think <laughs> is incredible and good for trying to find the Pasolito Mami eventually one day. Oh, my God. We're not, nowhere near a million. but <laughs> still, still, but, you know, uh, just social media real quick, which I, I don't usually like, but I, I love in this instance because it tugs like Pasolito Papi tugs at the heartstrings of Miami. And people really like they um, they respond to it. You know what I'm saying? Like you do a new flavor, which was the last one. It was pumpkin something, right? It was a pumpkin sky, uh, pumpkin spice cinnamon roll, and uh, obviously it didn't get many likes, but they they sold out, man. Sometimes yeah. I don't know. Sometimes you think things are gonna people are gonna like like them, and some people don't. I mean, social media is weird, man. You know me. I'm not a social media person yeah. before Pasolito Bobby. I never post shit on my regular Instagram. I mean, for me to post shit is, like, kind of weird for me, but it's part of the nature of the business, and you got to put contact out there. Sometimes yeah. I feel like I don't put enough good content, but people tell me that I do a good job. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, social media is whatever. I mean, the, the people that are social media, people will say you have to post X amount of times. And right, right. whole thing. But really, like, Chugs was supposed to just be a home for Pasolito Papi, and it ended up being... Other things too, but it was like the flagship location of Pasolito Papi. Yes, it was. It was and and it was like um, people would come in and order a dozen. And this is my thing, and we had this conversation too, like two years ago. What do we charge for this Pasolito, right? Yeah, that's like it's such a, a pinned question because some people try to get um, try to act some kind of way, and we. Are, I mean, I always respond to them. Right, and I'm surprised, like. You know, not that many people complained about the price. That was surprising to me. There well, the were thing, some, but... Yeah, the thing... Well, listen, we charge four bucks for a pastelito, right? It's a much larger pastelito than normal. That's first. Secondly, we use nothing but good ingredients. They're all handmade. Um, they're fresh. Usually the day of, we sell out. I mean, they're always fresh the day of. We sell out. Whatever we don't sell out of throws goes into the garbage, Pretty which much. is not what other people do. Right. So... You know, I mean, it was a different thought process totally for that kind of thing because Hispanics like me were used to going to get a cortadito and a pastelito and a croqueta and paying three bucks. Now you're going to Chugs and you're spending more like seven or eight bucks. Pretty much. Yeah. But you're eating, let's say you get two pastelitos. You're going to be really full off of those two pastelitos. Oh, man. It's hard to eat two of those pastelitos, man. Opposed to like Maybe you go not. to the bakery, you can... Tear down, like, you know, six guavas, maybe two meat ones. And I've noticed, like, I've, I still go to the bakeries, and I've noticed they've gotten really smaller. Well, times are tough. That's true. Times That's are true. tough. Let's go back. Chill, let's go way back. Oh, First of all, can I tell you a story before we go way back? Go ahead. Just because uh, <laughs> uh, we can openly talk about the fact that, like, we both smoke weed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of okay. like trying not to inhale the cigar. <laughs> yeah, don't inhale the cigar. But it's it's great cigar. Good. That's actually an Ariat uh, Ver- Verso Sencillo's version of the Espin- Espinosa Red. Is that how we said that? Is that, did I say that right? I mean, it's up to you. Whatever. I, I don't know how, but yes, there's a, an Espinosa cigar called the Espinosa Red Label. And they have basically just uh, delivered some to you with a special band. I like it. I like it. Good band. Nice band. <laughs> it's a very slick band. So, I just came back from Utah. All right. 
Um, I'm glad a cougar didn't chase you on the trails. That I, that that looked a lot like all the trails that I was on. Oh, so man. that shit was pretty crazy. Pretty good. So we went to the Salt Flats, right? Ten or fifteen minutes from Salt Flats is Nevada. So we went to a dispensary in Nevada, right? Oh boy. <clears throat> I'm I'm definitely gonna uh, talk about all the illegal things that I just did. <laughs> so we bought a bunch of gummies, right? We brought those gummies back here, and how we brought them back here is we put them in a gummy bear bag. <laughs> right? We put them in a gummy bear bag. And you know the troll gummies, the little trolls? Yeah, yeah. Put them in that bag, too. So Sunday night, I go home. I was in the office all day, uh, actually uh, working on paperwork things. Anyways, I go home. Emily wants a slice of, uh, of cake. I take her a slice of coconut cake. I say she can have it all. So then I go rummaging through the, the kitchen for something sweet. <laughs> and I ask her, I say... What did you do with the weed gummies? She said, I, I'm pretty sure I put them upstairs. I said, all right, cool. You put them upstairs. So the bag in which we had put them in was in the cupboard. So I thought that meant that she had separated out the weed gummies. Oh, man. Right? So I was like, all right, fuck it. She took them out of here. So I'm like, you know, I'm a, I have a sweet tooth and a half. So I grab a biscotti. There's some gummies. I eat a few gummies. Like, Whatever. And I say to myself, when I eat the gummies, I say, why the fuck are these gummy bears taste so bad? <laughs> right? So I eat the gummies. I actually eat some regular gummy bears, too. All oh, but the they tasted like weed? They didn't taste like anything. Oh. Nothing. So anyways, I go about my business, and then I start watching the Hunger Games. I don't know why, but I started oh, watching the Hunger Games. And then I... Um, I like you know because there's a time difference. It was like two and a half hours or two hours time difference. I like wasn't tired. It was like midnight. <clears throat> so I was like, I'm gonna smoke a bowl too. So I'm gonna smoke a bowl. I'm gonna shower. It's gonna bring me down. I'm gonna be ready for sleep. So I started smoking a bowl in the shower. I'm showering. It's nice. Ooh, all right, yeah. And like, I'm starting to notice like things are getting real big. Oh, I'm like, man, it's weird. Anyways, I don't think anything of it. Like everything's fine. I'm like, I'm just getting high from smoking a bowl. I smoke a bowl all the time. Like that's how I pretty much just compartmentalize how high I want to be. And I go downstairs, and Emily's like, I'm going to bed. It's time. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to stay watching the Hunger Games. I'm 10 minutes in to her leaving, and I'm smoking this bowl, and all of a sudden, it's like, like, hits me like a fucking ton of bricks. I'm just like, I am way too high for this bowl. I don't understand what the fuck just happened, but I am so high. Things have slowed down. Things are moving. I don't know what's going on. So people put this shit in perspective. I usually, when I eat gummies, I eat five grams, right? Because yeah. I'm not like a big gummy person. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I had consumed six times that, plus smoked a bowl. So man, if I tell you that I'm not sitting in my bed at three in the morning, staring at the roof saying, God, I'm so high. Oh. God, I'm so high. What am I going to do? I need to get over this high. Everything's going to be fine. Did it give you anxiety and shit? Yeah. Fuck oh, yeah, man. it gave me anxiety. Oh my God. You know, like I don't do gummies ever. Me it's neither. I'm not. I'm not really an edible person. It's like it's gen- it's five grams. Always five grams. And this time it was six times that. <laughs> six times that. So I learned my lesson. Um, make sure that they're gummy bears next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my story about Utah. Thanks. Life elevated. That's her. That's their thing on there. 
Let's go to the beginning. You were born in Vegas. I was born in Vegas. Yes. I did not come out of a slot machine, but came here when I was one and been in Miami ever since. So I kind of say I was raised in, I mean, born in Miami. Mm. Don't really count to Vegas because I don't remember much from it. But my grandfather grew up in Vegas, my whole family, and he was basically a dealer in Caesar's Palace. Oh, yeah? And um, they that. left. I guess he probably racked up some money, came to Miami. He was a carpenter and started building houses. He built the first house that I lived in. That's what my grandfather used to do when I was a kid. Nice. So when you went to elementary, middle, high school here? Yes, sir. Where did you go to high school? I went to South Miami. I kind of like moved a little bit around during high school and shit. I went to Beach High for a little bit. And believe it or not, I graduated from Ace Academy, which is kind of like an opportunity school in Coral Gables. Oh, yeah? I wasn't like a bad kid or anything. I didn't skip a lot. I just grew up. In the around Flagler in '67, and then once I moved to the beach, it was like, oh, only other friends, and most of my friends would get in trouble, so they were in that school. So I was like, oh, can I go to that school? And I kind of got into it, and that's how that happened. Which now I kind of regret going to that school, but whatever. Which one, Ace? Ace. Yeah, I don't know much about Ace Academy. I don't think it exists anymore. No, uh-uh. it's right here in Coral Gables. So when? I think we, we lived kind of like a very similar beginning of our careers because you actually started, you didn't start at, um, what was the place you worked at? It was in the... Man, my first cooking job was at Duffy's Tavern, the OG in Coral Gables. There it is. That's where I learned how to grill, fry, wash dishes, all that shit. And the owner, you know, he was kind of crazy. <laughs> is it the same owner? Do you know? Um, Bro, I went back a couple months and I ordered something that... Like, I, I was, I wanted pork chops and applesauce, and they used to have that on the menu back then. I went, and I ordered it, and they're like, oh, we don't have that. So, and the guy that actually, one of the, the son-in-law's owner, he was still, he's basically runs it, and he came out, and he's like, he looked at me, he's like, Gio? And I'm like, oh, shit. He looked at me, and he's like, oh, we don't have that on the menu anymore. Wow. And what I was ordered, that? Uh, kind of a couple months ago. Oh, yeah? And he told me the owner was still alive. I mean, at the time when I was there, he was probably, like, pushing, like, close to 80. He already had a stroke. This guy would see me, like, kind of going down, and he would push me out of the way and start cooking. And for some reason, he would call me JoJo. <laughs> I don't know. He was, like, an Irish dude. You know? And then uh, from there, what was next? Man, from there, I worked Wilderness Grill on Sunset Place. I don't know if anybody knows that existed. Yeah. So Forever 21 now. <laughs> <laughs> sunset place is actually still there which is yeah, shocking super shocking and then after that uh corporate places like chili's there for four years chili's that's the one that's right then went to johnson and wales while i was at chili's realized i wasn't dealing with real food and went to work at tarpon ben was there for six months became a sous chef and was there for four years and that's where i took a leap of faith and Went to go work for Norman Van Aken, and that's where I met you. And we all kind of, like, left our sous chef positions to be line cooks. We did. I think that was the um, – it's crazy how many people left, like, man. You know, I didn't get back to making that much money that I left to go work for Norman for a decade. Yeah. Which it wasn't a lot. I wasn't making – like, listen, I wasn't burning the house down. But I was making, like, a decent salary. I was fucking a kid. I don't know. We started working together when I was fucking 24. Something like that, because I'm 35 now, so 11 years, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and shit, I mean, I went to go work a job that I was making 10 bucks an hour to work for Norman. Yeah. 
you know, and it's crazy. Like, um, we started working in that kitchen that was like 35 cooks, remember? Yeah. And then by week three, there was 12. Yes. <laughs> that was 12. I mean, me going into that kitchen, I never worked fine dining. So, like, I remember, you know, Chef Phil, Phil Bryant, I mean, he was like the real, real chef that I ever first worked for. And he was like, all right, we're going to pick up this rice with this fish. And I'm like, all right, so how do you heat up the rice in the saute pan? I'm like, before, you know, you just pop it in the microwave. Yeah. But that was a great experience. Norman's was a real good experience. I will never forget the last day, the last days of Norman. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever talked about that in this on this podcast. The last no, day I don't think months. you ever mentioned it. So there was like a coup at the end of that Norman's because Norman had left. Phil had left. Um, those were the only two people that really mattered, right? Because there was Kevin Preble, there was um, Juice, Juice. That's right. Oh, juice. Man, juice. I don't remember his real name, but no, juice. I don't remember his name. Ju- uh, I just remember that he used to take that walk from the bus station. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, talk yeah. about that at six in the morning all the time. When they left, all the recipe books disappeared. There was a couple of sous chefs left, but they, it was like it was this weird like political game of power. Remember? Yeah. It was like Norman and his people had gone. And then the sous chefs that had buddied up with the current ownership group had stayed. Yeah. And um, then it was like this weird shift of like these new sous chefs were like, we're going to do it better. But then all the recipes disappeared. So when we all showed up to work the next day, they were all gone. And we were all like, because I was, I was actually a prep cook at the time. I'd moved from to work line to work prep and then work lunch. Yeah. And then you were working saute at lunch? I was working saute at night. And when they opened up for lunch at the time, my grandmother was, was you know, very ill. And I wanted to work the lunch. Right. And I think that's how that played out. And then the new chef that took over, I told him, I'm like, hey, look, I can't work nights anymore. And what then, was that guy's name? Jesus, I don't know. All I remember was douche. Chicago style hot dog. Chef Douche. Chef Douchey? Chef Douche. He worked for Emerald. Mike, you're a beautiful man. You know what? Kind of like an angel. Yeah. Uh, what was his name? Brandon? There you go. Chef Bernack. B- Chef Brandon Bernack. Wow. This came to me. Brandon Bernack with the Chicago-style hot dog. We used a $40,000 combi oven to watch the nacho cheese the nachos <laughs> on the fucking chips. Hummus from Cisco. Was it hummus from Cisco? Yes. Oh, gross, man. Gross. It's the only place I ever, like... Said bye to everybody, scratched my name off the schedule, and quit on the spot. No, but we all quit. It was yeah, it yeah. was like uh, 90% of the staff quit yeah. that day. Yeah, I remember going back to my old job. Tarpon? Did you yeah. go back to Tarpon? Yeah. They hired me back as a line cook Monday through Friday. I mean, it was a no-brainer for me at the time. Yeah. But, I mean, that's where we met. We met Matt there. We met uh, Jamar, right, which we're still friends with. Jamar. Um Phil, we met there. Um, That's where I met Veronica. Well, I had known Veronica from before. That's right. The job I had left, Veronica was my prep cook, and then she came over to, which Veronica Valdivia is now the corporate chef of our entire company. Yes. So she went from Veronica. She went from being a prep cook for me at Redfish Grill for Ramel, which was our chef, Ramel Meza, which is a very dear friend and amazing human being. Uh, to now being the corporate chef of Ariad Hospitality Group in 11 years. That's awesome. pretty impressive. And then from there, we went to LED. 
LED. I don't think anybody knows about LED. No, that, we don't know. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how many people we want to know about LED. LED was a restaurant that was on A Street and 142nd. Yeah. Right? Right next to LA Fitness. Right next to an LA Fitness. I'm pretty sure now it's like a... It's a food hall. It's, yeah. It's a I banquet hall. I haven't been by there. It's a banquet hall? Or a it's food? a banquet hall. There it's you a go. banquet hall. And these guys, these owners that I don't know what they... I don't know where they got their money or whatever, but they dropped like millions of dollars into this weird location and it looked like a strip club, right? With yeah, a was, kitchen. Yes. It made no sense. The no only thing sense. that made sense was the food, even though we look back at the food and we oh, were kind of like, We look back at the food and it was so bad. Come on. <laughs> I know it was our food, but man, it was so bad. Remember the, what was it, like Iron Beer Baby Back Ribs? Uh, damn, what was it? No, malted, uh, malted oh, no. painted uh, pork belly with watermelon. Oh, oh. it hurts <laughs> me to even say that. And then we did like oxtail empanadas. Short rib terrine with lobster. Lobster mac and cheese. Oh, no! Lobster mac and cheese. Stuff that people love. Stuff that people love. Street. Anywhere, really. I mean, look at Prime 112. They're killing it with lobster yeah, mac. You know it's bad when the the name of the business is under the daughter's name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For legality's purposes. <laughs> what else do we have on the menu? God, it was so bad. I don't Remember know, we, Oh, we had the, the salmon... With a mushroom ceviche and arugula. <laughs> Remember that? Yes. Uh, there's so many bangers on there. And we just... So, and anyways, the long long story short, we were there for seven months, eight months? Seven months. I mean, but it was cool. It was a great learning experience, you know. <sighs> was it ever. <laughs> <laughs> the owner was cool in the sense that he would let us have his car and we'd go to Restaurant Depot and go really? buy everything we needed. Yeah, I don't man. remember any Yeah, man. I remember we, like, took his truck and we went to, like, ABC 123, that place in uh, downtown where all the kitchen stuff oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember he accused us. Nick, hear this. Oh, man. He accused us of over-seasoning the fries so no one would come. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? Because we actually do used to do Escaviche spiced fries, yes. which were delicious. Yeah. They were good. Um <laughs> So, and he accused Gio and I of over-seasoning the fries so no one would come. And then we also had that other investor dude that would be like, Eso Todo fantasal. Todo fantasal. Necesita masal. Esto está bien. Está rico, pero fantasal. Oh, man. Great learning experience. <laughs> I mean, that was like, um, God. So, I, I remember when he accused us of the whole... Over seasoning fries. That was the end, right? No, the end was at the time my grandmother was very sick, and I remember I couldn't work for a couple of days, and you worked for me. Yeah. Like you literally worked like I don't know how many days, and when you finally got a day off, that I went in early. I'm there prepping early as hell, going through some shit in my head with my grandmother, and the owner walks into the kitchen and he's like, he's like, "Where's Mike?" He's like, "Where's uh, Veronica?" I'm like. It's your day off. I'm like, I'm here today. And he's like, we'll call everybody. We're going to have a meeting. We're not opening today. So you guys came. We had a meeting outside on the patio. And the first thing this guy says is like, why don't I have the recipes? He's like, I went to Ila Canaria. I went to this restaurant. I went to that restaurant. He's like, they all have their recipes. Why don't I have the recipes? And you are like the rowdy guy. I'm the calm guy. And that day, for some reason, you were calm as fuck. 
And me, I was rowdy. I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, they're not yours, blah, blah, blah. And I started getting loud. And then he was real quick to go get my check and kick me out. Oh, yeah. And then we all left. And then we all left. And then we all left. All for one, one for all. Yeah. Very much. I don't remember any of that, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I don't, remember it clearly because. I don't, I don't remember any of that. Um, I don't remember how hard it was running that restaurant. I, I don't remember how much, how little I knew because I, I knew nothing. I mean, I don't think it was hard for us. It was more of the sense that we were doing the best that we could at the time food-wise. And they weren't kind of appreciating it. And the food just wasn't mixing with what their dining room was. Now, listen. Well, I I mean, would, it was a Diggy Diggy restaurant, for Christ's sake. I love sakes. that. Okay, can we explain Diggy Diggy? Oh, come on. But can we find a Diggy Diggy song? We'll, we'll plug in whatever Diggy Diggy song. Listen, so here it is. Diggy Diggy is this. Insert song. That is Diggy Diggy music. So when you listen to Diggy Diggy music, you probably won't really enjoy the area dining experience. Yeah. Right? So I guess that would stand true 10 years ago too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I remember I look back on that and it, it was just like, like I wasn't ready to run a restaurant. Uh, the food was... I look back on it now. I'm just like, oh, it's just, it's cringeworthy. You know what I mean? Like, it's cringy what we did there a decade ago. But for the most part, people liked it. Yeah. yeah for the most part, it. people liked the food. And um, I mean, fuck, I, it's just I don't even like really remember what a lot of that food looks like. I mean, I do. I mean, I have a good memory of stuff. <laughs> I think Gio mentioned something that's like very. There's no better way to put it. Gio is the perfect yin to my yang in the kitchen. And that's why the first three years of Ariette was we worked so much together. Um, because I am a little, not a little, I'm much more hot-headed. And Gio is much more calm. So there was always like a calm voice in the room with reason yeah. to my, just like, before we started recording and I came out here and I wanted to flip a fucking table, <laughs> not many things have changed in 10 years or 12 years or whatever. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't remember that day of you being more hot-headed than me or I, I don't remember that. But um, in the last five years, there's been a lot of that. Yeah. Me wanting to fire someone and you saying probably don't fire them, giving me more reason. Do you know what else Gio is? Gio is a conspiracy theorist, the only conspiracy theorist friend that I have. This is the moment I've been waiting for in this moment. He oh, man. is the utmost. <laughs> con- Ask Gio if we've been on the moon. Gio Fesser, has this country or anybody, has this man made it to well, the I don't, moon? Well, I'm not sure, honestly, because every time mankind, we start down this path, I walk away because I'm not, I'm not equipped. Has mankind landed on the moon? <laughs> man, I don't want to get into all that shit. <laughs> People aren't ready. They're not Come ready. Come on, just that you. We've had this conversation several times. You don't think we've been on the moon? I don't know, man. It's kind of iffy. I mean, it looks like 
those ships that they were on, I mean, the main thing is, like, why haven't we gone back? I mean, it's hard. It's a good question. I mean, it's hard. But it was easier in the, what, 60s or whatever it was? How many times do you go 70s? to Orlando in a year? Yeah, I mean, I don't it's know. It's a long trip. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's the why. I'm just saying it's a long trip. It's hard. That is. That's part of it. It's you don't trying. just do it. You don't just do it. You for just the don't be like, I'm gonna go to the moon tomorrow. I don't know. So Gio doesn't think we've been on the moon. No, listen. Hey, I'm not. He also to, thinks uh, that Bill Gates is out to kill all of us. Oh yeah. Which I, I mean, I don't know. He may be. Is he part of like a, a class of people who are, out, or Bill Gates has his own separate like thing going on? I don't know. It's just the reputation that Bill Gates has. Yes, come on, elaborate. Don't be just listen. Twenty-two but, people listen to this. I, so just, I think this was actually a really good transition because you were talking about the yin and yang. I love that you're more worked <laughs> up than Geo, and Geo's the one who thinks that we're being lied to about the moon and Man. Bill Gates's Let me secret tell you, Holocaust. There's plans. plenty of conversations I walk into that I just hear like, "Come on, dog, you think that's real? Come on, the flag wasn't even moving. The flag was it. Come on, look at the pictures." And it's just always about the moon. It's always about the fucking. Hey man, listen. I mean, I don't only talk about that. I talk about mad random shit. Yes, that's accurate. I mean, I definitely. There's things that, you know, there's some information out there. You know, it's kind of iffy and stuff. Like the whole Trump QAnon shit. Like I don't believe in that shit. This episode of Pancom Podcast is brought to you by Estrella Dam. Every fall, Estrella Dam's Chef's Choice program has been a welcome annual program highlighting great South Florida restaurants, their innovative cuisines, and the excellence of Barcelona's cherished beer. October 15th through November 15th, 2020, the program returns. Rechristened as Estrella Dam's culinary journey and featuring fabulous, fabulous restaurants in Dade and Broward County. During the month of October, adventurous foodies will be able to enjoy uniquely delicious and specially priced offerings from participating restaurants. From exclusive dishes to tasting menus, all paired with Estrella Dam. Classically, their program has been centered around a tasting menu paired with Estrella Dam. But this is a year unlike any other, so they wanted to give chefs and operators the freedom to create their own offering at their own price. Some are presenting a special dish. Others, a multi-course menu. Brewed in Barcelona with Mediterranean ingredients since 1876, Estrella Dam boasts a versatile and approachable flavor profile, making it an attractive pairing to cuisines from around the world, as evidenced by the eclectic lineup of participating restaurants. For more information on Estrella Dam culinary journey, including a full list of the more than 40 participating restaurants and menus, please visit www.estrellamjourney.com Now, Mike, what will this look like here at Ariette? So here at Ariette, we're going to be doing we're going to be doing a wonderful three course menu that's going to be kind of our signature dishes on it. Which one will be the short rib, the other will be our flan, and the first course will kind of be rotating with other things that we find to fit the Estrella Dam profile. We wanted to be able to offer the beer with some of our signature dishes because. You know, we want to offer Estrella them 12 months out of the year, not just right now for a special menu. So we wanted to pair it with something that will be on our menu forever. Again, you can get to all the information about this program at www.estrelladamjourney. That's E-S-T-R-E-L-L-A-D-A-M-M journey. Estrella, like star in Spanish, dam, D-A-M-M, journey.com. Thank you.
Well, I think it's cool to talk about. I don't think anyone has experienced the evolution of our company quite like the two of us have. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, we we went from, Gio, you work in the morning, you open the things, you do all the things, and then I come in at night, and then I'll polish it off at nighttime, and then it's just like that kind of like rotation. Well, and in I, the beginning, it was all of us at night. All of us at night. Which, yeah. there, it's crazy. There's photos of you... Me, Matt Hawkins, which was here for a very long time. Tony Galeno, which is now the chef of Mandolin Miami, which was one of the starting sous chefs here in Dallas, which is now the corporate chef for Groot Hospitality, um, working the line as well. Yep. And it was just like we decided, we made a decision at the beginning, was like we're just going to do like the five of us. We had yeah. two cooks, one cook, two cooks. But I think it was one cook. One cook. One cook, and we did not expect to be as busy as we were in the beginning, and we were just getting rocked every night. And listen, we learned a lot. I think that we, (laughs) I know I learned a lot. Uh, I mean, I even tell the cooks now, like, when they walk onto the line, like, yo, the line wasn't like the way it was. I'm like, you didn't have that nice little light on there. Like, it was dark (laughs) as fuck. Like, cooking a whole fish and taking out the bones, it's kind of a bitch (laughs) in the middle of the night. Remember, we actually didn't have work tops, remember? Right. We had to fill up ice and put everything in cork containers at the beginning because we didn't have all that. And remember, the hood didn't work. We had to roll. The first day of service, we had to roll the wood grill out of the restaurant because it was smoking out the restaurant. Oh, yeah. This is what I mean. Like, lots of people want to open up restaurants. And then when they realize how shoestring of a budget you need to have in order to make it work, and then you need to do it right. And that's why, like, you know, people are always like, well, you know, you talk about Ariette so much. I'm like, because that, that motherfucker, that, that shit was the real struggle. Yeah. The real fucking struggle. Every Downstairs, night. upstairs, everywhere, you know, going from doing 120 covers to four covers to 10 covers, then back to 40 covers and 50 covers. We lived to every emotion that we possibly could in the first three years of this place. And then we grew. Yeah. Yeah, cheers to being here right now. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long way. And we had a lot of people come through here. Friends, Topper worked here twice, right? Topper uh, worked here twice. Uh, who else? Uh, Romel worked here for a long time. Romel worked here. That was my prep road dog right there. I mean, Romel is like one of my favorite human beings of all time, which now he lives in New Orleans. And I think he still works for Shia, the restaurant. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I want to go visit him. I know you went. When you went to New Orleans, you visited him. I did. And just, you know, New Orleans is one of my favorite cities, but to be able to see Ramel when we're there is always good. Um, so I guess the, the best thing to talk about now is, like, what we plan for the future. Right. Like, um, Chugs actually begins demolition for their remodel November 3rd. Oh, shit. So I'm going to take a sledgehammer. Day. Election day. Oh, it is it. Yeah, Perfect. I think so, right? Yeah. Good. Third. Um, so we're going to take a sledgehammer to everything. All the equipment is out. It's completely cleared out as of today. And we start a whole new phase of a journey for that restaurant that started as a pop-up when we were in New York. When we were in New York. With Justin. that I got a phone call like, hey, what do you think about this space? I'm like, I think it's great. We'll just serve pastelitos and croquetas. And then we ended up. Having a menu of like 20 items. Yeah, man, I couldn't believe it, man. 
And uh, now we're closing it down to reopen it as a proper diner. Yep. And I'm back home here at Ariette. That's right. I'm here getting my feet wet and learning uh, just, you know, meeting everybody, the whole new staff. There's so many people that I haven't even, like, spoken to. I mean, it's whole new staff, man. Isn't it crazy from where we started four years ago to where we're at now, how it's, like, an actual structure? As before, it was just, like, seven people just, like, making it happen. Yeah. And now it's, like, there's structure to it. There's, like, a functionality to it. There's things. And now we're planning for to hopefully open in the first quarter of 2021 an entirely new restaurant. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be a beautiful thing that's – then – it's like uh, I feel like that's like the beginning or the small stages of what Pastelito Papi is supposed to be. Right. So, and I know we've talked a lot about this, but in your eyes, what do you see this thing becoming? This Pastelito kind of like, um, I guess it's like a, what's a good word? Rebirth. It's a good word. <laughs> Rebirth of the Pasolito culture. What do you see that becoming over the next five to ten years? Man, just working at Chugs for this whole pop up. What was it like a year and what? Like it was actually months? sixteen months. It was sixteen to months. Be a year, but because of COVID, it was extended four months. I mean, just being there every weekend and seeing the same families come and like seeing these kids sit at the table, like mom, dad, like every Saturday and Sunday ordering the pancake and ordering the pastelitos and just thinking like, damn, these kids grew up eating a peanut butter and jelly pastelito opposed to like a guava one. And, 100%. And they're gonna, that's something that they're going to remember for maybe the rest of their life if they keep coming to Chuck's, which I believe they will. They will. Um, I mean, for the reopening of Chuck's, I just want to have like that pastelito lineup of like different cuban pastelitos which we've been slowly doing i mean i think i think there's still some that we need to do that we haven't done yet like like uh like i did one with deandra uh deandra from yelp uh camarón enchilado pastelito oh yeah I haven't mom, done it yet. Her mom showed yeah, you how to make that yeah, recipe. she showed me how to make her recipe uh what's another one i want to do a carne con papa one like carne con papalito uh, <laughs> uh, what's another one? Uh, damn, I know I had another one. I don't know. We're trying to put anything Cuban inside of a pastelito. Yeah, listen, we did Rawans and Neo pastelitos. Yes, and we those did. were like a hit. Like, yeah, it's incredible. But you know, it, I, I, the one thing that Chugs is not scared to do is to be somewhat very like American in culture and to be very Cuban in culture, which is our, our thing, Cuban American, right? Like right. we, we're okay with doing a pumpkin spice cotelito and any motherfucker right now that wants to do it. Remember that we did it first <laughs> that, you know, like all those things, you know, doing a pumpkin spice cinnamon roll pastelito, like that shit is weird. And it was right. delicious, you know, like all those things to reinvent what we grew up with, and it's exactly what you said. Exactly the vision for Chugs and for Pastelito Papi in the future is to be this thing for kids that now, as they grow up, this is what they know as a standard. Right. Like, the fact that, uh, and I, 
I will ask him if he even wants me to mention his name, but Brandon Chase, which is a big supporter of the entire company and used to go to Chugs all the time with his son. They would go and they would have a pancake and they would have pastelitos and he just loved all the pastelitos. That's awesome. And he would crush them all the time. And he would tell his dad, he's like, I want to go to Chugs. Like, and I want to have a pastelito. Like, that's amazing. This kid's like, I don't know, fucking three years old. Yeah. So that, that kind of connection and that kind of like... Um, I wouldn't say reinventing of culture, but just like looking through it through a different, looking at it through a different lens, right? Which is what we grew up with, you know, because like our parents and their parents and stuff, like they knew pastelito de carne, they they knew, you know, guava and cream cheese or whatever. Now we know peanut butter and jelly, we know frita pastelito, we know buffalo chicken pastelito, which was a big one for a long time. Yeah, it's a different ball game. And not only for the kids, I mean, the older folks, like your abuelo, like, when, when I see them eat something like that, like a frita pastelito or, like, a mango pastelito, which the biggers have mango, but, like, with Miami, you know, local mangoes. And the reaction that I get, like, when people post stuff on their stories, like their abuelo, their abuela, and it's like, that's when I feel the best. When I see the old people like it, that's when I feel like, damn, all right, this is a thing. Yeah. We've had several friends that have, like, posted things with their grandparents eating yeah. pastelitos. Lauren with her, Lauren with her grandfather. With her grandfather. Um, Vicky. Vicky. She comes with her dad every weekend, and yes. they just have pastelitos and coffee. Like, it's, I talk with them all the time. That shit, to me, matters more than the financial aspect of our business. Right. Because as we continue to grow and to move... I think, like, our job as a company is to kind of say, like, Cuban culture has changed, right? Like, the, the lens in which we look at our culture is changing because we have been in this country for so long. You know, we are here. This is the way. And we want to approach it differently. And it's okay to do that. So, yeah, people have a problem with a pastelito that's four bucks. But people don't have a problem with a donut that's six bucks. To me, is a fucking problem. Cause, right. Because I'm used to my Krispy Kreme donuts at 99 cents, but I'm right. not going to bitch and complain for a good donut that's six dollars either. Of course. And it's the same thing with pastelitos to me. At the end of the day, people are going to pay for what they like. That's right. And they will. And I think that we've proven that. We've pr- and I remember it was a big thing that we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if people are going to buy it. It's just too expensive and blah, blah, and da, da, da. And I said, yeah, you know. I mean, you pretty much convinced me. Also, that first pop-up I did with Burger Beast at Arbetter. Oh, I mean, man. That shit was crazy. I told Burger Beast, I'm like, yo, I'm going to charge three. He's like, no, you're going to charge four. And I was like, okay. And, bro, we ended up selling out. Mojo Donuts was there. And there was, like, so many donuts left over. And I, I just couldn't believe it. That, I, was, that was a great experience for me. Shout out to Burger Beast for that. Yeah. Uh, it's Very memorable day. Interesting that we we mentioned Burger Beast, but Burger Beast is responsible for so much of the success of uh, good people. Yes. I think, like, for Ariette, we were on the downtrend hard. I remember. And then he said that we had the best burger in the city. Remember? Yep. And then we went and we started selling, like, 70 burgers a day. Remember that? Yeah, that shit's crazy, man. Shit's wild. (laughs) <laughs> then he said that he would go to Chugs in the morning and he would have a pastelito and he would have, you know, the breakfast sandwich or whatever the fuck and people went. Yep. That's one of the few uh, he doesn't like the title influencer, I know. <laughs> but he influenced people to go to the good things. And he does and he still does. He definitely does. You know, so 
I definitely give him a shout out for that. Well, I got one more thing to add to this. Um, the, one of the most memorable things about Patarito Bobby for me was uh, Carlos Frias and sending the Pataritos to Thomas Cutter. Oh, that's right. That was man. one of the things. Getting that text, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that day. I mean, he told me, I'm like, you want to make Pataritos with Thomas Cutter? I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah, that's I, right. I honestly couldn't sleep that night. I mean, he was nervous too, Carlos. And I told him, like, yo, I, I didn't sleep. As I handed him the box, he's like, me neither. What do you think? I was like, oh, shout out to Carlos Frias, man. Yeah, that was um, very cool, to say the least. He had, do you remember which pastelitos? Frida and peanut butter jelly? Peanut butter jelly, Frida, lechon, and uh, head cheese croquettes. Head cheese croquettes. That's right. Uh, that's That was cool. Like, the significance of that. And because like what you were saying, right, like the, the idea of kids growing up, but it's not just kids growing up with a different pastelito, but it's also like the level of pastelito. Right. And like what that what Thomas Keller eating and talking about a pastelito, let alone yours. The fact that it's yours is another level in a way for anybody who saw it. And it's a shame to me that 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 Bentanita thing didn't keep going. Right. Because like the more consistent it would have been, the more. Right. But I think anybody who saw it. Even if they didn't know who the hell you were, I was right. like, "Oh shit, Thomas Keller's eating." I'm a nobody, man. Like Thomas, Thomas Keller's eating a pastelito of any kind was a big deal for anybody in the city who saw it. Yeah, and the fact that he really liked them. Right? Yeah, yeah. I no, mean, he liked everything that he ate. I know, man. He said my name. He talked. It's pretty cool. I mean, for those who don't know, which hopefully everyone that listens to this does know who Thomas Keller is, he's kind of like the godfather of all American cuisine. The fact that Thomas Keller liked that, which it just, you know, that's when he was coming to Miami. He was opening the surf club. Right. It was two years ago already, right? Yeah, two years ago. It's wild. Um, I don't know. That, to me, was definitely one of those things. And then also, for me, I think one of the proud moments that I had, and there's been plenty in, in the structure of the last five years, was right. that. And then the whole article about you and Savor was, you know, like we've. Which we, they w- didn't want to do because she was pitching it to her boss. And her boss was like, oh, no, it seems very gimmicky and all this. And then when I sent her the pictures of Thomas Cutter, that's when I got approved. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A lot of people say the shit that we do is gimmicky. Let me explain. Point that so, thing back up. Here. Sorry. So I remember we have a PR company, uh, Brussman and Carino, that big shout out to Long Island Larry, Larry, which is our PR guy. And he has to deal with me on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> God bless him. He was pitching the opening of Chugs as a pop-up to food and wine. And Food and Wine's response was, it's ultra gimmicky and hyper local. Wow, I don't think I remember you telling me that. Yeah, because I don't, I don't say everything that, uh, that people tell me that piss me off, but, uh, I say a lot of things that people piss me off. It was before you had a podcast to say all this shit. Right. Right. So, um, and in my, in my mind, I think about it like, so Miami, local Miami isn't good enough for Food and Wine. And then the Cuban culture isn't good enough for food and wine either. And that's how a lot of ways that I like, I read that. So for me to see Thomas Keller eating pastelitos and to see you and Savour, which shout out to Alona again for making sure that it drove in there was the thing. And also like the fact that at that point when they had said that we were too hyper local, Evan Ben had written about us in the New York Times and they had written about us in the New York Times when it came to the timeout market, too, 
was like, so we're good enough for the New York Times and Savor and all these things, but we're too hyper-local, so the Cuban culture is not good enough for you. That's why we continue this trek down this road of saying, this culture for you and for me is big enough. Yeah. Pastelitos as a culture is big enough. And that's why you know things that we're working on for the future is shipping uh, nationwide frozen so people can bake on their own. These are things that we're exploring that they're very difficult to do, so they will take time, and they're not easy. So we're trying it out. Right now, as Chugs is closed under for, re uh, for renovations, we're going to do Pasolito Express Days. Uh, we're going to offer Pasolitos for pickup, all these kind of things, because we want to continue that thing. And also, we know that people are going to want to try to take our thunder and try to do the shit that we do, but the problem is that we just do it very well because we do it very local. And we're not just a bunch of people that think that we could bake. We're actually chefs. So it's just like a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of like um, people want to say that we're not good enough, but then they want to take our things and they want to try to do our things. And they want to say that um, we're not good enough to be on the main stage. Shout out to Geo Fesser. Main stage, two songs. But we're there already. You know, so it's just I'm very excited for chugs on several levels but it's really to continue pushing this um, new wave of pastelitos if you will you know what i'm saying i, I think maybe for like for the sake of analogy because this is just one example that i can think of because some people might hear this and think like oh what is this weird chip that these miami guys have on their shoulder it's a little bit like you hear that kind of feedback about oh it's too gimmicky and hyper local and Meanwhile, like, there's no problem anywhere in the country talking about it when some, and it's for good reason, because it's fucking delicious, when some Mexican in Austin puts brisket in a taco. Right. So what's the difference? That's cool. And it's also like the same thing as in New Orleans. They come up with a cool sandwich shop. That's cool. That's not hyper-local enough. That's the number one restaurant in the country. But Chug's, again, was too hyper-local. Get the fuck out of here. It's just more of, like... This compartmentalizing <laughs> that the Cuban culture needs to assimilate to what the rest of the country does, and we will never do that. We will do it our own way, right? Just like the Mexican culture has done theirs, and they have done an amazing job. I just don't understand why it's okay to put thing in a taco shell, but it's not okay for a frita. I don't get it. I think it's I, just, I think part of it is also that we live a, a weird reality where. In the grand scheme of things, Cuban, by the numbers, is just tiny, right? So, so if some Mexican fusion thing happens in Austin, people can relate to it because they're eating Mexican food all over the place. They don't have that frame of reference. So there's a little bit more of a hurdle to get over, which I think is part of why the credibility of a Thomas Keller being like, this is good, is such a big deal. And, you know, there's been two times, two times that Thomas Keller was supposed to eat here, Right. Because our good friend, Chef Manny from the Surf Club, that is an incredible human being, incredibly talented. He doesn't get enough credit for how good he is at what he does, um, was going to bring Thomas Keller here, and it just didn't pan out. And that's just like one of those things to me that it's like, we are good enough. Right. You know, like the, the fact that Ariette is um, this like loose riff on Cuban culture and Miami as a backdrop, and so on and so forth, like we are. And the pastelitos, the way that we're treating them, and the croquetas, the way that we're going to do them, and chugs, the whole idea behind it, it is 
not only, yes, it is hyper-local, but it's good enough for the rest of the nation to know how hyper-local we really are. Do you want to uh, transition to our closing stuff? Or do you have other stuff that you want to get into? So I recommend for everyone to rewatch The Hunger Games. <laughs> gummies or no gummies? <laughs> no gummies. No. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, no three, gu- three gummies at a time. No, no. no so no. rewatch The Hunger Games. Yeah, there was more. I had another recommendation. Oh, you know what? I think we need to talk about. Hold on. Here we go. Before we go into other stuff, let's talk about your vinyl collection. Geo is the one of the top three hip hop heads that I've ever known in my life. You would probably agree with that. Nineties hip hop. Nineties hip hop. Geo is quite the DJ by himself at home, which I have asked him for a mixtape so we can actually play at Chugs, but he refuses to do so. I mean, I gotta learn. I'm I'm not that great. Doesn't matter. I'm only good at home when no one's there. Just record it. So, Geo and I started collecting records. Seven years ago? Yeah, seven years ago. Seven years ago. And I actually have um, photos, which I'll share with Nick, of us digging records like seven years ago. At uh, We got the beats in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I think Tony's at that picture. Tony and Chef Matt. No, I took the picture because it was of you, right. Tony, and Matt. That's right. And um, shit, I mean, since then, our record collections have like been ten times what they were. Yeah, I don't go out as much, but... Yeah, I still go to Goodwill sometimes, and my this, most recent find was E.T. Soundtrack. That's actually a great soundtrack. See, this is what he does. <laughs> I, I'm the guy that get I get frustrated, and I'll pay 20 bucks to go to the place that has everything like nicely cataloged and everything where it's at. But Gio will go to Goodwill. He'll go to three Goodwills on his way home, and he'll find 10 records that he pays fucking $3 for all 10 records. <laughs> and at the same time, I'll pay $200 for the same 10 records because I get frustrated. <laughs> but um, music's one of those things that we've always gotten along with a lot, too. Absolutely. You know, like the... I mean, you open me to music, too. Like, uh, one of the guys, uh, the Blue Notes guys. Uh, like Chet Baker and... No, that those people that you went to go see down in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, oh, St. Paul and the Brother yeah, Bones? Those oh, man, they're amazing. Yeah. But I wanted to mention something that, that I mentioned to you before. And I want to make it happen for this year. It's around uh, Sade's birthday. And That's the other thing. Sade fucking Saturdays. Yes. We want to do a Sade brunch dedicated to Sade. I'm and we might we might do, you know, mix it up. Like maybe a Biggie and Sade type of thing. I don't know. We have always said that the only concert we would drop a whole stack on would Fuck be yes. Sade. Fuck yes. I'm the ready. The only concert would be. And you know what's crazy is that. The credit card is ready for that. What? <laughs> When she came with John Legend, we're like, no, nah, it'll happen again. How long ago is that? Bro, almost a decade, probably. Has it really been a decade? No. I think that was like 2000. No, that was, yeah, man. I honestly don't remember, but it's close to a decade. Seven I don't, years. The people eight. that don't appreciate Sade, they don't like to be calm. You saw that they released like a. Yeah. Yeah. Not I heard she was me. working on like a new thing, too. She just needs to show up somewhere. I don't know, London, man. wherever we're going. To London? Huh? That's a strong That's a strong statement. Going to London? Not right now. But Not right now. I mean, we can't go anywhere right now. But. No, I, I just like, and people always ask me all the time, because, you know, they'll come to my office and I'm playing like Sade, like the whole, you know, like on Spotify, like this is Sade. Many pastelitos were made listening to Sade. <laughs> As were babies. <laughs> that's the secret ingredient. <laughs> The secret ingredient to every good pastelito is Sade. 
Diamond Life and uh, Paradise. Oh, man. Diamond Life. Right what a good album. I remember Gio and I went to our first uh, record convention. Remember? This is in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, yeah. Remember it was in like a it was in like some weird motel. Yeah. That they had, <laughs> That's right. It was in like a weird motel in like the banquet hall of it. And we were novices at that time. This was old, this was before Aerie had opened. Yeah. Was it? Right. And we were like, fuck it, we got there. And like my record collection at that point was probably like a hundred deep. Uh now it's like probably seven or eight times that. Yeah. And I love Sade. And I would always it didn't matter how many of the same record i had i wanted to buy it right so i remember i'm i'm digging through a stack and all these record heads are around this so imagine these guys have been digging for records for poof i mean much longer than we have right and i've come across diamond life and i'm like <gasps> and everyone's like you know like Damn, I, didn't, I didn't that? give you diamond life it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if i had it or not <laughs> it doesn't matter and i'm like digging through it and i'm like <gasps> And everyone's like, oh, my God, what is that? And then they see what I got, and they're just kind of like, loser. <laughs> like, Whatever, man. <laughs> I don't care. It's Sade on vinyl. It's the same way I felt when I found uh, – and I think you got me a copy of it, too. I think I have, like, three copies. Lenny Williams? Yeah. No, actually, you gave me a copy of that. Oh, yeah. It makes sense. I found it at a, a uh, garage sale in Little Havana. That's right. I Girl, remember. you know I, 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 I love you. That was like, remember there's like the two-minute part in the middle that he's talking? It's <laughs> like the best part. It's the best part. It's a Kanye sample as well. Is it? Kanye sucks. I still hate him. Yeah, um, he's, a, he's a cuckoo. Yeah, he's crazy. Vote for Kanye for president. Oh, man. Some people will. A lot of people will. I mean, it may be better than our current options. But you think that's know. possible? Sade Brunch? I think it's – is it possible? When do we do it? That's like – the better question is when do we do Sade brunch? We should actually give everyone well, – Her birthday is January 17th, so – Done. When is – what does that fall on? I don't know. I but we just that. do it the week of – Oh, well, let me check. January 17th. That's around my mom's birthday. I think people would love that. I think people would want to come eat. <laughs> I love that. Cherry pie pastelito. Actually, January 17th is a Sunday. Oh, shit. This is meant to be. You guys heard it first. January 17th, Sade Brunch here at Ariette, featuring four different types of pastelitos by Pastelito Papi himself. (laughs) And we'll do the Sade breakfast sandwich, which will just be spoken to you softly in your ear. (laughs) Just whispering the ingredients to you. Taylor hands. American cheese. Cuban bread. (laughs) I'm going to spend at least like two hours editing all this stuff. Editing what you just said into a Sade song. um, I'd also like to talk about. Hold on. I had a small rant yesterday. I had a small rant yesterday that I'd like to talk about because I think it's just so atrocious how dumb some things are in life. Kiko's doing it. Listen, Kiko, I love you, man, but I can't support this. Combo Kitchen Network, which Combo Kitchen Network is a ghost kitchen. Ghost Kitchen's jobs, and I think their long-term vision is to absolutely crush brick-and-mortar restaurants 
And I think whether they believe that or not, that is their mission long term. And they are holding. Oh, man, look at this. This is good. They are holding a um, what is this called? What's it called? Uh, kind of like a panel discussion. A panel discussion. That's right. That you have to pay for it. Huh? That you have to pay for it. Join us for a discussion on the future of the gastronomic industry in Miami. Prepping the recipe for success. Francis Suarez, some guy I've never heard of, which is the creator of Combo Kitchen, which makes total sense. Yanni Jurjic Blablabsness, which is the at foodie fetish, fetish celebrity blogger. William Talbert, which is the president of, listen, it's actually the GMCVB, but they just put the VCB. The, the Miami VCB. Yeah. Right? Something like that. Michael Cheng, which is a dean of FIU chaplain of hospitality and tourism management, and Philippe Khalifa, the president of Winwood Restaurant Association. I will say, Michael Cheng and Felipe Felipe Philip Khalifa are the two people on this panel that actually have an idea of what it takes to run a restaurant. Philippe Khalifa, I did I was on a phone call with with the mayor when it came to reopening bars and he represents all the bars in Winwood. He had a lot of good things to say. Michael Chang and I would say the other people from the South Beach Food and Wine Festival didn't do um uh, I don't think they did what they did without being called to action during COVID, but they still stepped up to the plate and they brought restaurants money during the whole thing. So they, they did it through Southern and Bacardi. But to say that William Talbert, which is 90-year-old relic, has any idea what it takes to run a restaurant, some blogger that I've never heard of, the guy who put together this place, the Combo Kitchen, and Francis Suarez, which eats for a living um, and is a politician, have anything to say about what we do as a restaurant community is absolutely absurd. And the fact that a real estate agent is the uh, the moderator of the panel, I think, is almost as insulting as anything I could find. And um, I think as I think about it more, they are like, you, you know what a ghost kitchen is, right? Yeah. Nick, you know what a ghost kitchen is? Yeah. The idea of the ghost kitchen is to um, continue the third-party delivery system. And it is to glorify the third-party delivery system, in which takes 30% of all revenue from the people, right? Which is us. I am the people. Don't smirk and whatever. This is why my name is on the sandwich and not yours! No, I'm, I'm just making The evil empire of third-party delivery systems... Um, and how they take continue to take money from restaurants and how they continue to convince people not to go to restaurants will inevitably long-term be the demise of restaurants. I don't care what anyone tells me, how they want to talk blue in the face and how they did all the things. Uber did nothing and has never done anything to help my company ever. Go on. So I'm... The reason I was making the face was not anything about the percentages or whatever. I just think in terms of like if we're defining ghost kitchen, the way that I see it is actually that industry is creating kitchens that they do not have to deal with that or that the 30% makes more sense so that they don't have to deal with you at all. Sure. Right. Now, that 
could in the long run create a problem for existing restaurants in a different way because then people would get used to the idea of, of at home of businesses that are optimized for that. And, me, they're, and they're, I just want to, I, I want to, let me, I, how long have we been doing this? Let me explain to you the idea uh-huh. in my brain, the romantic purity of what it is to dine. No, no, I get it. I'm not, I know I'm that you it's get good. it, I'm but it's, it's just, good. It, it's not good. It's not good. It's my point is that their mission is not to destroy you. Their mission is to make money and they're not concerned about you. No, no, no. You're if, if you're out mission. to destroy me, then you are concerned about me. No, I'm saying that they're not out to destroy they me. They are out to destroy me. No, that's that's n- nobody's business is destroy Mike. Their business is make no, money. No, it has not. No, and, don't. And, and, I'm not, and take not mo- Mike. And, and don't think Mike. Or think restaurants restaurant. in general. Brick and mortar restaurants. They're not out to destroy anything. They're out to make money. And, of course, at some point, given that there's a finite market share, they're taking market share from someone. But the mission is not destroy an industry. The mission is make money. And if that comes at the expense of an industry, then so be it. Those, yeah, those which, two different things. Which is not okay with me. And that's fine. I know it's saying, fine. In terms, so that's of, why in terms of articulating what their mission is, their mission is not to fuck at people over. Their mission is to make money. And if in so the process if, of that... So if your long-term if your long term thing is eventually going to get rid and it will be the demise of the restaurant, then it is in your docket of things to do. Let me get rid of all restaurants. I mean, that's not the way that I see it. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's that's a byproduct. fine. It's a byproduct. On the docket means that you've made it a mission and you failed if you haven't done that um, in the same way that you want people to pay you want people to understand pastelitos a different way and you want them to get in the habit of changing their pastelito consumption and getting used to the idea of like taking that that there is seven dollars worth of value that doesn't mean that on your docket of things is to destroy the existing shitty croqueta industry no because at the same at the same time as we talk about how much we want to change and help further na- the narrative of pastelitos. We talk about how much we love the old pastelitos, right? Sure. We talk about how important they are into our evolution. These people have totally subtracted us from their evolution and said, we don't need to be this, right? So all we're going to do is create, and it's just so, to me, it feels like the Matrix. It feels like the back end of the Matrix as like, it's just raw, and you're just like, the food and everything is sterile and the food goes into a box and then it goes into someone's mouth. And it's just like there's no romance and there's no purity. There's no music. There's no like song and dance and just this beautiful thing that is dining. No, no. I, I get it. I, I understand. And I understand that you get it. And I agree it, with you. But I want, to, I want everyone else to get it. I'm just saying that they, they because can then get also, it. Because then can... also these people are going to say that they understand the state of my community when they're trying to be the demise of my community. And because other people want to make themselves feel important. Because and, oh, this is like Will Talbert. Will Talbert, 90 years old. I remember I did a, I did a radio thing with this guy. He's one of the guys that represents Miami Spice, right? I did a radio. Represents them. uh, He's one of the head guys from the GMCVB, even though it says VCB there. It's the GMCVB. The GMCVB VCB. Right. (laughs) Um, He didn't know how much the the Miami Spice was for lunch. And this is like one of the head guys. Remember, he was like, no, it's $39. I'm like, it's $23. It's $39. It's dinner. Oh, yeah? What do you mean, oh, yeah? 
You're one of the head guys of the whole thing? What do you mean, oh yeah? That's the oh yeah? You don't know? So this is one of the guys that's going to talk about the state of my industry and how many times on this show, all 56 episodes, this is the first one that's actually sponsored, so thank you, Estrella Adam. Um, have we talked about how the GMCVB does not care about restaurants? They care about hotels. They care about tourism. They that, don't, bo- that bothers me more, that the government is involved, especially in a the city. The government of, is involved twice there. Francis I mean. Suarez and the GMCVB. And, and that the, the government would involve itself in that conversation without insisting that somebody from the from you know in-person brick-and-mortar dining be present uh, and not just a member of some kind of a board, right? Somebody like you or it could be any number of other people. Uh, so that that you and I are completely on the same page on. Like I don't I don't like the idea that that the government is trying to like engineer and decide because the government that's what they're. And then at. they're charging people to go to this thing on Eventbrite. That's bananas. Bananas, bananas. Yeah, I just it's like a Zoom call, a ticketed Zoom call. Pretty much, it's a Zoom call. I don't. Ah, that's why I said, can we do this for free? Can we get actually people that are actually in the industry that are struggling every day? To just be on a Zoom call for free that people can chime into to actually like have a thing because I don't want to put it on Eventbrite and I don't want a fucking real estate agent to be the moderator. Someone that is like, – Peter the dog will moderate. God, Peter the dog and Quincy should moderate. Oh, yeah. Quincy and Peter the dog. This will be a disaster. Disaster. I'm super into it. Disaster. Anyways, I need to uh, – that is my unrecommendation. Can you unrecommend things? Yeah, I think you just did. Unrecommend spending any fucking of your money, any of your money on that fucking trash. And there's a couple people that are involved that I like, like Kiko. Uh, and I told him, I love you, but this is trash in so many ways. Um, and also the combo kitchen. I just saw U.S. We Delivered announcing our newest speakers, Esteban Bovo and Daniela Levine Cava. Here directly from the Miami-Dade County mayoral candidates as they discuss what they would support in the restaurant industry. So now they have two candidates that are running. This is my problem. This is a problem that this company, the Combo Kitchen Network, is getting now politicians involved. Do you know what that sounds like to me? Stacking the deck. You're stacking the deck. Against all of us, because we're all... Oh, look at this. And Steve Bobo, you fucking loser. Anyways. Well, I'm just... It's just... It's too much. I don't know. I don't know how to, like, compartmentalize that anger towards that. I don't know. It's just too much. Anyway. Super into it. I'm going to recommend Kung Fury. <laughs> Kung Fury is a 30-minute movie that you can find on YouTube for free. Uh, unlike this GMCVBCVB uh, event. Don't pay for that. Uh, but Kung Fury is available. It was a movie. I don't know if you know this backstory. It was started on Kickstarter. I think it was made by like a Swedish guy or something. I could be wrong about that. Uh, and it's like a, a genre spoof of like 80s buddy cop movies, time travel movies, uh, and kung fu movies. So the premise of it is that Kung Fury is the name of this cop who's police partner is a triceratops uh and hitler that's good hitler travels through time uh and is doing all kinds of hitlery things and so kung fury uh has to go and like stop hitler and there's all kinds of time travel he encounters vikings uh it's incredible so kung fury like kung fu with an ry at the end kung fury that's my recommendation geo you got anything I have no recommendations. Come on, recommend some shit. You watch things, you listen to things. Come on. 
I don't know, just been watching the Heat, watching sports pretty much lately. Can we thank them? Yeah, man, they did an incredible job. Let's the, thank the future the is so bright for doing, uh, and you know, like the Marlins too, for really Marlins. taking the city's eye off of like how much this year has fucking sucked, and really, I mean. There has never been a Heat team that I can relate to as much as this one that just lost. And they already have the rumors spreading yeah, about Bam. Yeah, rumors everywhere. You know? Le'Veon Bell went to the Chiefs. To fucking I, thought you, I thought we were going to get him for some reason. I mean, you know, I mean, listen, they're 4-1. and one. They're, they're probably going to go to the Super Bowl again. And now with him, like, I don't know how many more players you need. Tyreek Hill, Le'Veon Bell. What's the name of their – they have a, a good tight end too, right? Uh, Yeah, Kelsey, Travis Kelsey. I mean – like their squad is, they're stacked. Stacked. So, I don't know how many more players you need, but they got Le'Veon Bell too. For only for the rest of the year, though, he didn't sign a long-term deal. The only reason that I wanted the Dolphins to get him and lock him up for like three years is so we didn't have to waste draft picks on running backs. Yeah, because I think it's a wasted draft pick. It would have been nice, but you know, Dolphins are the Dolphins. Hey, there. Yeah, I'm all right with the Dolphins. Okay, I'm okay with what's happening here. My recommendation is to rewatch the Hunger Games. Go to Utah. (laughs) (laughs) Go fly fishing in Utah. Uh, I had an incredible time in Utah. I went to the Bonneville Salt Flats. That was actually very cool. I fly fished. I hiked for the first time in my life, and I loved it. I could hike every day and probably be a happier person. Um Ate some, ate at some good local places, five seed harvest afterward, um, you know, and just like it was, it was good. I mean, nature, amazing things, and I loved it. So those are my recommendations. I unrecommend the Combo Kitchen Network. Got it. <laughs> Shameless plugging. Sure. Go ahead and the two of you, shameless plug away. Oh, there's going to be some uh, My shameless too. plug is just the Patelito Bobby with the double I, and that's pretty much it. Good stuff. Mike, shameless plug. My shameless plug for Geo is that soon in the future, we're going to be doing the Pastelito Papi Express, which may be available a few days a week or one day a week, but basically you can pre-order your Pastelitos. The uh, minimum is a dozen. Uh, we'll also have options on Saturdays to get iced cafe con leches, Croquetas of several types and sweets from Chef Devin Braddock herself. And you can have quite the breakfast. Hi, Chef Manny. And um, those are my shameless plugs for Geo. Now my shameless plugs for myself are... Um, Thank you. <laughs> Nave will be opening in December. Nave, Miami, our seafood location... Uh, helmed by myself and Justin Flit will be reopening in December. So start making your reservations for a date that I'm not sure what it is and come and eat all the food and spend all your money. All of it. All of it. Eating our snapper milanese and stone crabs. Also, more shameless plugs. Ariette this year will be doing a Thanksgiving to go, which we will only have 20 to 25 available which feeds a party a family of four to eight and it will have your entire thanksgiving ready we will give you cooking instructions for the turkey we will brine it for you and we will do all the work except cook the dishes here at ariad's thanksgiving to go soon available pre-order up to 10 days prior 
Don't miss out. Bang, bang, bang. Nice. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, so, last set of shameless plugs are uh, the podcasts. You can listen to Pancom Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Also, datamag.com slash Pancom Podcast. We're Pancom Podcast on all of the social media things. And if you want to support what we're doing, it's patreon.com slash datamag. There's some exclusive stuff there, a little uh, extra video and shit like that. Um, along with every once in a while some giveaway stuff. Uh, and if you pledge a certain amount monthly, you get your name in credits. Speaking of which, shout out to our um, credits level supporters there, Mabel Debonsa and Philip Bennett. Philip, listen, I know you're Philip a 49ers always- fan, and I love you, man, but thank you so much for supporting, and please don't <laughs> support any differently, even though you guys lost by three touchdowns. <laughs> so there you have it. And with that... We're going to record an ad now that by now you've already heard. So, thanks.